Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. How are y'all doing this morning? Doing great? So y'all may notice we have a few more vocalists than we normally do, and I was kind of intentional about that this morning because if you did not know, today after each service we're going to have a ministry fair. And I wanted to take, you know, this platform and use it as a platform to promote being on the worship team and being on the production team. So that today, after service, if you're interested in serving in any way, it doesn't matter if you don't know what you're doing, we can train you, we can show you all the things that you want to know. So after service, if you want to sign up or be a part of what we're doing, please come find us outside. But for right now, why don't you stand up, greet some people around you, and then we will begin to worship together.
shout of acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble teach you all a new song and kind of going off the idea of how great God is and and because of his greatness because of what he's done we have a testimony as to what he's done in our lives so this morning as we teach you all this new song let it be our prayer let it be a declaration so we'll sing this out together Started. Yes, I got. 
great to see all of you here even though we're a little cloudy this morning it's good to see you here and, and those of you online welcome um, in 1863 a little town in Pennsylvania decided to open a cemetery for those that were fallen during the Civil War and they asked a great orator uh, Everett Edwards to come and speak now in those days and times without radio without television when they asked somebody to come and speak, they expected an hour, hour and a half, two hour long speech. So when they asked Edward, uh, they'd given him about a month and said, can you do this on October 23rd? He said, that didn't give me enough time. So they pushed it back to November 19th. And so Everett got up and began to speak and he began with Percules in ancient Greek moved his way through to Ezekiel and the story of the dry bones and then it in modern times so about two hours later he got done and the crowd just roared at his speech then the MC at the time asked the president if he would like to say a few words and Abraham Lincoln got up and said four score and seven years ago 
our forefathers brought forth to this nation. And so looking at that, you see that Lincoln's small words, his small speech of the Gettysburg Address is what we remember today. Not the two-hour sermon that Everett Edwards spoke. You see, and sometimes I think in communion, it kind of gets washed through because we do it every week. And, and I think there are times we just seem to forget what communion is all about. It is about the death of our Savior. The fact that he gave his body and his blood for us. So while we might have great, great worship and singing and a great message this morning, I hope you don't forget the most important thing. And that is that Jesus died for you. Let's pray together. Father God, we just praise you this morning, Lord. We just thank you. Thank you so much for what your son did for us. And Father, we pray that your spirit would just come and fill this place. Father, that you would continue to anoint our worship team this morning. And Father, that you would anoint Jason as he gives your words. For Father, we know how much you love us because you gave us your son. And I pray in these next few moments as we come to these communion tables and we take the cup and we take the bread, that we are reminded of what your son did for us. We ask this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. For you have never failed me 
seen you move, God, would you do that again in this place? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Y'all can grab a seat. Fairdale Christian Church, which is one of our sister churches and are one of our together partners. Um, but Afghanistan is, is it's it's in turmoil. There's a network of small underground home churches, Christian you know, Christians that have uh, attempted to meet over the years and they can't do it in public. They have nothing that looks like a church in the state, obviously. Uh, so they do it kind of on the down low, you know, uh, underground. It's small home things and they're kind of, there's some networking, some connection, but it's very, obviously very low key and they're trying to reach people one person at a time. Uh, with with the, the message of who Jesus is and how much he loves them. But the Taliban ha- came out this week and said, um, hey, we know where you Christians are. We know where your little groups are. Um, and we're coming. We're coming after you. And so for us, 
you know, they are our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And I think the only thing we can do is, is pray. So would you guys pray with me? Lord God, we, uh, we come to you right now and I ask that you would, in, in the only way that you can, no one else can, God, that you, that you would protect and that you would provide for your, your children a small remnant of people in a, in a country that is very hostile toward your name and your son and, and who you are, God, that you would protect them and that you would encourage them and that you would keep them safe. God, I pray that those churches would remain in the middle of, of just incredible persecution and turmoil and devastation in their country uh, that's war-torn, that has been war-torn for thousands and thousands of years because of religious and political ideologies that, that get all out of whack, God. And I just pray that you would just be with the leaders of those churches. I pray you'd be with the family that, that we support here. Uh, through our uh, missions efforts, um, that you would encourage them. Uh, God, they don't really even know if they'll ever get to go back um, to the place that they love, the people they love, the people that they've ministered to for several years, the place where they've raised their family. And so, God, we just pray uh, for that situation. We lift them up to you right now and ask that you would just move in a mighty way. And uh, We pray that, that those people in uh, Afghanistan would know that there are Christians in the United States and all over the world that are praying for them, that are lifting them up uh, this morning. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I don't know how to truly transition out of that into talking about playgrounds, but we'll try. Okay, here we go. Um, so we're in this series talking about playgrounds and understanding that there are things that we learn on the playground that are really valuable in life. And then when we look at the Gospels, there are things that Jesus taught us, taught his followers that can really be applicable to life in general, but that also we've kind of, you know, start out learning those things on the playground. Last week, Dave talked about the do-over out at the park and how, like, when you're a kid, they're, you know, kids are always yelling, you know, you get up and you maybe get ready to kick the ball at recess or whatever, and the kid will come up and like slip and fall and miss it totally or kick it off to the side, and people yell, do over, do over, right? So we talked about that a little bit last week. This week I want to talk about taking turns and, and looking at things from a team perspective. And maybe some of the first times you ever really worked as a team was when you went out to recess in early elementary school. There's a lot of things we can learn about working together, getting along, being a part of a team, kind of the, the same kind of goal going forward. We learned some of those things on the playground. Maybe when you're playing tag or, like I said, kickball or whatever the case may be. I remember um, a lesson that I learned on the playground in, in second grade. This was a tough life lesson. I was in the second grade at Simpsonville Elementary, and my teacher was Mrs. Price. Mrs. Price was this sweet older lady, and, and, and I thought she, she seemed like the sweetest person in the world. And she was. One day, 
We went out to recess. It was a, a cool fall, early fall. It was the beginning of the school year, but like maybe September, early October morning. You know how it gets around here. Like it'll get kind of cold in the morning. You need a jacket. But then in the afternoon, it gets kind of warm and you're like, you, you throw the jacket off or whatever. And so that was one of those days. My mom would put me a, a jacket on me, send me to, to school. And so we were there. We we're going out to recess. She says, get your coats, get your jackets. We're going outside. It was, it was nice, sunny, but cool, right? So I have my jacket. We get outside. We're playing. I don't know what we're doing. It, it gets hot. Right? I take off my jacket. So instead of taking off my jacket, I'm, I'm in second grade, right? So just rem- just reminded of that. I'm in second grade. So it's like, all right, what do you do with your jacket when you're a second grader and you have this jacket, this coat or whatever? Well, here's what I do, right? I start swinging it around like this, right? I take, the, I think it had a little hood on. So I'm, I'm swinging this jacket around just having a good old time, right? At recess. Well, the jacket had a zipper on it. And the zipper, I mean, I don't remember if it was intentional or not. Don't put it past me. It could have been intentional, but it was probably an accident. But the zipper hit a little girl in the eye, like on my jacket. And she, like, lost it. Like, I, we thought she had been shot. She was crying so much. And so she's, like, freaking out crying. I'm like, oh, no. And it, you're right. Oh, no. So Mrs. Price sees all this go down. She comes over to me. And I have to remind her, I have to tell you, she'd already told me, stop doing that. Put your jacket down. Go play. Well, I didn't listen, right? So Swing on, swing on. This little girl gets hurt. Her eyes, you know, I don't, it, there may have been a little mark. I don't know, but not much, right? So Mrs. Price takes me aside and she says, I, you know, explains to me like what has happened. And I've hurt this little girl and she told me not to do this. Well, long story short, she takes, I don't remember if I talked back to her or if it was just this attitude thing. She takes me to the office and remind me, I remind you, this is like, early 80s, so it's a little different now, takes you to the office where the principal had the paddle. Yeah. And I got a paddling in the second grade for that incident. Now, I don't remember a lot of my teachers in elementary school, but I remember Mrs. Price. She made an impression on my mind and on my backside that morning. And I learned a tough lesson to that, a couple of lessons that day, that morning at recess. Number one, listen to your teacher, right? Whenever she says something, do it the first time. And number two, Mrs. Price, even though she looks like this sweet little old lady, don't cross her. <laughs> Those are the lessons I learned that day in elementary school. There are a lot of things uh, that we probably learn early on in school, in class. And today's lesson from the playground is about taking turns, working as a team, and serving others. Serving is a big part of who we are here at Shelby Christian Church. You guys have, have noticed this, seen this, and uh, are aware that, you know, it's one of our five core values. It hangs on the wall over here to my right. S- uh, serving. Serving others. And we follow the example that Jesus gave us. When we said, hey, we want to be a church that serves. Serves each other. Serves this community. Serves people that are far from Christ. There's a way that we do that. And we're going to talk about that this morning. I want you to look at this passage of scripture because it's kind of what this whole thing hinges on. It's Mark chapter 10 verse 45. It says this, for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
And so what we are committed to here at Shelby Christian Church is developing a servant's heart. For lo- looking for opportunities for us as this body of believers to serve others. So that others can know who Jesus is and how much he loves him. That's what we're committed to. And so we choose different different um, areas to do that. We serve different ministry areas. And you guys, a lot of you guys, especially in this service, have done that over the years and now. And so here's, here's kind of what I want to encourage some of you with this morning. Is that as we kind of grow as Christians, th- there's, there's really no sense of like, hey, we retire from serving each other, serving the church, serving... We don't, don't really retire from it, right? But what we do is it may change. Like the area in which you decide to, to serve may be different. I'm sure some of you guys, when you were younger, maybe you jumped right in there with the little ones and whatever. And as you got a little bit older, you're like, you know what? That, that may not be my thing. And maybe I don't have the patience or the temperament for that anymore. But maybe I can go and do this, can go and do something else. There's always something for all of us to do as a part of this body. And so we're going to, we're going to talk about this, that this morning. Um, I, 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 again, I know that there's several of you guys in here that for years, and most of you will, will probably even say, yep, I've got a spot. I've got a place. And that's great. But maybe there's some of you that are like, you know what? You're right. I do need to kind of step up, take that next step and go, where is it that I need to serve? I would ask you guys also to be praying for those who are in second service and third service. Because there's going to be a lot of folks in those services that that are hopefully going to be challenged today uh, to do this. God doesn't want us to just be stagnant or to stop growing. Because when we stop growing, when we become stagnant, we kind of wilt and we kind of wither. And if a church stops serving and stops growing, and becomes this stagnant place, right? It's in danger of, of dying. You've seen a, a, a pond or a lake or something like the water just gets kind of stagnant and it's there and it, like all this stuff grows on it. It's gross. And like, you know, when our bodies, like when we, when we, when we stop moving, right? Your doctor, my doctor tells me all the time, you know, you know, you know, you got to get, you know, you need to walk 30 minutes a day for five days, you know, five days a week. That's going to add like seven to eight good, healthy years to your life. My doctor tells me that every time I go in, you need to be walking, you need to be exercising, you need to keep your body moving, right? We know that when things are moving and going forward, they have a chance. They're still alive. They may still be growing. But when we stop, when we rest, and we just kind of give up, we're in danger. And so this morning, I want to I encourage us as a church not to do that. Jesus has demonstrated for us how to humbly serve one another. Not ourselves, not our selfishness, but we replace that with selflessness. There's this incredible story in John chapter 13. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 13. It's one of the most powerful things that Jesus does. It's a display of his service for others. It's a life-changing event for those who follow Jesus. And here's what happens in John chapter 13. This is what you would call a paradigm shift in the world, really. In, in Jesus' world, in the world with the disciples, Here's what a paradigm shift is. It's a fundamental change in approach or underlying assumption. So right here in the middle of John chapter 13, Jesus is going to take the societal norms, the the things that the world looks at and says, this is the way things are. He's going to take those things and turn them on their head right here in John chapter 13. They have worked their whole lives, the people in this room with Jesus on this night, and they've seen the way the world is. And Jesus Jesus comes in and in this moment with this action,
act that we're going to read about today. He changes it all. He flips it all on his head. Jesus was all about world-changing shifts, and he loved to turn societal norms on their head. And that's what John chapter 13 is about. We're going to read it here in a second. Here's what's happening. Jesus is preparing uh, preparing to have this final meal with his, his followers, this last Passover meal. He does a lot of things on that Thursday night in that upper room in Jerusalem. One of them is what we just talked about and, and just experienced with, with communion. He, he institutes the idea of what communion should be, right? Here's another thing that he does on that evening that's really powerful. Jesus does this on this, on this evening, and what he does is he, this represents a shift, like I said, that's overturning a lie that has plagued humanity since the Garden of Eden. What was the lie? Well, the lie was if you want to be blessed, look out for yourself before anyone else. If you want to be blessed, look for other people to serve you. Get in a situation in society where you're on top, where you're in power, where other people are your servants and serve you. That's the world that Jesus is living in and his disciples and followers are living in. And so in the middle of this, Jesus knew that his position and his power... He knew that that God had put all things under his authority. And so I want you to think about this for a second. Here you have in this room with the disciples, God, the Son of God. Everything is in his power. He has all authority. And yet what you'll see is that he sets down his, his crown, he sets that aside, and he picks up a towel, and he picks up a water basin, And he serves. The one who sat in the highest position, the most powerful, stoops down to serve his friends. Jesus' closest friend John records it in John chapter 13, verses 3 through 5. Look at this. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. And that he had come from God and that he would return to God. So he got up from the table. He took off his robe. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And he poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. Now here's what we need to understand. That we need to understand the magnitude of what's happening here. This is the Lord of Lords, right? This is God. This is the King of Kings. This is the sustainer of life. This is the one who created it all. And he could end it all with the snap of his fingers. He, he could have caused them all to be dust in just a second. And it would all have been over for everyone. And he could have created another one in the next second. That God stoops down. To wash the feet of his disciples. Now let's, let's talk for a second about why that, obviously that's, some of you like in this room, you're okay with feet. Like you see somebody's feet, somebody's foot touches you, whatever. I have to confess to you, like I hate feet. Like, I hate looking at other people's feet. I, I mean, like, like, I don't like feet. I don't like, I just don't like people talking. Like, even talking about this kind of makes me a little, right? I don't like feet. I'm, all, I'm not that person, right? And so think about the first century. Think about what their, the context of the world they lived in. Dusty, dirty roads, right? 
sand, uh, no, no real, no shoe, like sandals, but like, you know, very, very just meager sandals, no socks, no boots, no tennis shoes, no, no pedicures, right? None of that. Most of them uh, would just be barefoot. They would walk the, the dusty roads barefoot. You know, it was a luxury to even have the sandals, right? And there were a lot of animals. Sheep, goats, cows, horses, camels. So there was a lot of stuff around on the roads and in the fields, right? And so you can imagine the, the, the situation. You ever, like, you know, a nasty old man's foot, right? That's been walking and calloused and dirty and nasty and gnarly and like, it's just, it's disgusting. And so when people would come into a home to share a meal together, it was custom for the servant, for the lowest ranking person in the home, to take a towel and to take a water basin and to wash the feet of the visitors before they sat down to eat. Because here's how they would eat. What, what you have to understand about dinner time, about the Passover meal, is that they would probably sit on the floor and they would have this short table that they would recline at or maybe have their legs crossed, you know, and sit at this table or maybe recline at. And so you think about that scenario. You got a, a bunch of, a bunch of people in the room, this big table, this Passover meal that's having this celebration and they're there, you know, and the, the feet, you know, situation we just described. You, your feet are in close proximity to like your, your nose and your face and so you get the picture right so it was really important this was a custom you know a customarily thing to do like we need to wash our feet before we go in this house because that that's just the, the culture they lived in and so they had seen that happen before but they'd never seen the teacher do that they'd never seen the rabbi do that. There is no scenario under the sun where a Jewish rabbi would take off his robe, would take off all of his, his adornments, and put a towel around his waist and wash other people's feet. It was not going to happen. Never happened. Never seen it. Not going to do it. Right? It was below their position and their authority. And so when Jesus does this, he's their rabbi, he's their teacher, he's their leader. Now, a lot of them didn't necessarily even understand, like, that he's, like, the power that he has, that he's going to show in the next day or two, right, to, to come up out of this grave. They didn't really understand all of that yet. They, they would, but they didn't understand it yet. But what they did understand is that he had power and that he was a great, he was a great leader and a great rabbi and they were following him. And so for him to do this, him to stoop down and do this blew their minds. And this is where things begin to shift in a seismic way. I want you to look at this quote from Dave Ferguson in his book called Bless. Here's what he wrote about this situation. He said, Jesus and his followers lived in an honor and shame culture. Protecting your reputation and your dignity was critically important. Your honor was like your credit rating. The higher your honor score, the more privilege and prestige you enjoyed. If you had a higher honor score, other people were expected to serve you. 
Washing feet in public would be a great way to tank your honor score. No one would risk that. I was thinking about this week kind of in our context. Just imagine for a second that you had... um, Whoever your favorite um, president is, let's just say, because I know we would all have a different answer for that probably. But you have a, a person, that, like a president, a leader, that you say, you know what, I've, I admire that person. So just whoever your favorite, you know, president, what, former president, whatever, and they were going to come to your house. They were coming to your house for dinner, right? You could imagine, you would work forever and ever to like make sure the house was perfect, right? But then you can imagine the anxious, like whatever that would be when they come over. And, but they're there in your home, and you're sharing dinner with a former president who or whatever, president in the first lady, for a former first lady, whatever, and they're in your home. Imagine after dinner, if he got up or she got up, and they went over and they started washing your toilet bowl in your bathroom. All right? How, you would be like freaked out, like, no, don't go in there, don't do that. Why would you ever do that, right? So we could kind of put this in, like, this is a guy that they've placed in incredible high honor, and, and he stoops down to begin to do this, and they're like, no, that's not, that's, that's beneath you. Like, you shouldn't be doing this, Jesus. You're, you're the leader. You're the rabbi. You're, you're too important to be doing that. That's why Peter, when you look at this story, Peter rejects Jesus' offer. When, when Jesus gets to Peter, Peter, Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. You will never wash my feet. That's what Peter says. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, you don't understand what's going on here. If I don't wash your feet, then you can have no part of me. And then Peter like says, well, then wash all of me. Wash my whole body. And then Jesus explains, your whole body doesn't need to wash. It's just your feet that are dirty, right? We talked about it. And so, so Peter has this reaction. Maybe some of us would have like, no, don't do that. You shouldn't be doing that. And in this moment, Jesus does something that's powerful. He washes feet. Our Jesus washes feet. This was a seismic shift in their world. John 13, 12 continues on with the story. It says, after washing their feet, he put on his robe and he sat down and he asked... Do you understand what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord, you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. And he said, do as I have done to you. Jesus' message here is simple. It's now your turn to serve the way Jesus served. It's your turn to set aside your crown for a towel and a water basin. To grab a towel and to get to work. You see, we live in a world that believes the higher you rise, the more power and the more wealth that you accumulate, the more leverage that you have means that others will serve you. But Jesus sets that aside. He flips it up to upside down. He says this, Now that you know these things, in verse 17, Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. And so here's a promise. Here's a promise for Jesus' followers right here. From Jesus' mouth to us through Scripture. Here's the promise. God's promise in the middle of this story is this. Blessings are going to flow from the Lord when we humbly serve others in His name. Jesus says it right there. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Jesus says, now that you've seen what I'm willing to do, the the lowest task 
The, the thing that is, is, is like at the bottom of the list of things that people would ever want to do. Now that you've seen that I am doing that, you go and do likewise. And God will bless you. And so that's the story. And so now what do we do? I've got ten minutes. What do we do with that information? Well, here's what I, I need you guys to know this morning. We desperately need your help here. We, we are in a, a, a situation as a church that is, is really good. There are people coming. There are people being baptized. There are kids and students. If you guys were out there last week, did you see all those kids and all those young adults and college-age kids? And there are people... And and so even in the middle of like this crazy pandemic stuff, like there are people that are are coming and and finding the Lord and knowing the Lord. And we are a blessed church. I can tell you that there are churches all over the country that can't tell the same story. That are having it a lot harder than we are. And so we're blessed. And so we look at as a staff, we pray, we think, and we strategize, and we plan for the future. And we say, you know what? Well, God, you're you're blessing us with something. You're doing something in our midst. How how can we take this and keep advancing advancing it here in Shelbyville and in this community, in, in your kingdom, in this place? How can we keep doing that and keep doing it well and with excellence? And so to do that, to continue to do the things that we God's given us to do, the ministries He's blessed us with and charged us with and inspired us to do, and the Holy Spirit leading us to do the things that we're doing here at Shelby Christian Church, we, we, need, we need more help. And so here's what we're doing this morning. We're calling for every person who calls Shelby Christian Church their home to help us fulfill the mission of Shelby Christian Church. Now, if every person, and I know a lot of you guys here are already doing some of these things, some of you maybe aren't yet, but if every person would look and go, you know what, there's a, there's a place where I can serve. It may be different. I'm in a different season in life than I was before, but there's something I can do, right? Um, we need you to do that. We want everyone to experience worship every week. We want people to come to worship on a regular basis, an hour of worship. Our, our desire and goal is to see everyone serving in some kind of ministry, whether it's weekly or however, whatever that ministry is. It may be a couple times a month, maybe weekly, maybe every day. Who knows? But maybe there's something that you need to be plugged into that you're not doing yet, a ministry. And then we want everyone to be a part of some kind of small group, Bible study, ABF, life group, uh, a men's Bible study, a women's Bible study, something where, where you're sitting down with other folks and you're, you're studying God's word and you're praying for one another and you're holding, holding each other accountable and you're lifting each other up. And so we know that if everyone's worshiping on a regular basis, if, if everyone's serving on a regular basis, and if everyone's a part of some kind of a, a small group, a Bible study on a regular basis, that God's going to equip us as a church for whatever it is he may have for us in the next year or two or five or ten. Whatever it is that God may lead us to do as a church is out there. And it's big. It's bigger than any individual. And it's something that we all can do if we'll work together as a team. And so here's, here's what we need you guys to understand. The, the mission of Shelby Christian Church, you've heard this before, seen this before, is to reach lost people. To equip fully devoted followers who then impact the world for Jesus. So we want to reach, we want to impact, or equip, and we want to impact. 
We, we have a desperate, you guys know this, there's a desperate desire for more people, for, for everyone who doesn't know Jesus to know him. And if God will choose to use Shelby Christian Church to do that, then we're for that. We're, we're, all, we're all about going on that ride with him. God, you bring, you help us go find people. Let's reach lost people who yet know how much you love them and what you've done for them through your son, Jesus. We want to equip them and then turn them back around to go back out into this world to make an impact. Maybe here locally in the, the, in the, inside the, the walls of Shelby Christian Church, in this community, or maybe in Afghanistan. How, how can we make an impact all over the world for Jesus? And so here's what we need you guys to understand. Our Wednesday night program, it begins September 1st. There are over 300 people approximately, that will come to the hill on a regular basis on a, on a Wednesday night in the fall. If you're ever up here on a Wednesday night in the fall, it's, it's, it's incredible. There are kids and adults and people everywhere. When, it, when things are kind of humming in September and October, before we get to fall break, before we kind of get really cold and we get into the holidays, like there are people all over the place up here on Wednesday nights. And the programming that we have for kids and for students and for adults is incredible. They, here's what we need to understand. People come to us, people that have yet to accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior, they, we don't have to go out and find a bunch of them. They come to us every week. They're right here in our midst. They're, they're, they're in, in the gym and they're, they're here on Wednesday nights. They're here on Sunday nights in the stew and Sunday, like they're here all the time. Our early childhood and kids ministry teams, they, they do a phenomenal, phenomenal job here at this church. We have a few people that have been working really hard for, for several years. And, and I would just tell you that when you do those kind of things, it, you, can, you get tired and you can get burnt out. And there are a few people that are carrying the, the bulk of the load. And I'm speaking to some of them in this room right now. There are a few that are carrying the bulk of the load for everyone else. You, you can do some of the um, like statistical like looks at churches and like who, who serves and whatever. They'll usually say that 80% of people are, let's see, 20% of, I'll get this right, 20% of people do 80% of the work in churches. And so there's this idea that it's always kind of been this way and it and it has as long as I've been in the ministry it has but it has to change. <laughs> it has to change. Um there are people that that have been doing a lot around here for a long time and they don't want to quit. <laughs> but they need they need some help. They need some others to help share the load. And here's what's interesting. I was talking to Tiffany and, and Bradley this week in our staff and I said, "What do you want me to say from stage?" For all three services. And both of them said, we need more men. Amen. Tiffany said, I need some guys. I need some men. Over in children's ministry. And you're like, it ain't me. <laughs> Bradley said, I need some guys. I need some men. To come saddle up next to a bunch of wild, crazy seventh grade boys that don't really use deodorant yet and <laughs> brush their teeth maybe once a week, you know. Pick up your towel. Pick up the water basin. That's what they said. They said we need more men. Our, our student ministry is incredible. They've positioned themselves to make an eternal impact on our middle school students, our high school students, our next phase students, but they need, they need your help. 
a large part of what they do, what, what Tiffany and her team does in, in children's ministry, it centers around small groups, small group leaders. And they need folks who, who will jump in with them and serve. We're blessed to have some, some adults, some really good adult small groups who function more like families. And we need a whole lot more small groups for adults. We need people willing to lead them, to host them, to facilitate them. Because more small groups for adults means more people are connected to this body. And when more people are connected to this body, it means that we can fulfill the mission that God's given us as a church. We also want our Sunday morning experience to be excellent in every way. It's the first impression that we make on, on people when they visit this place. There may be people that will come here today and they're like, okay, I've tried everything else. I'm going to give church a shot. And they're going to give us one shot, right? They're going to, I'm going to, I'll go, I'll go do this. I'll go do this. But if it's horrible, if, if I don't like it, if I don't feel, if I don't feel it, I'm not, I'm not going back. And so every Sunday, is important for us. First impressions with our visitors. We need more greeters and parking lot attendants. And I'm new, uh, I'm new host. We, we need people that are just feeling the, the outside of this auditorium with just a warmth and a generosity and, 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 a, and a smile. And it's on a regular basis. The people's out there having fun and enjoying each other. And when someone comes in, they go, man, this is, seems like a place where I could really, really get connected. Like the, these people, like they want me here. They've been waiting for me. They, they, they seem like they like me. I want to be a part of something like that. We also want our Sunday morning experience to be excellent in every way. It's the first impression that we make, you know, in here, the, every aspect of our, our worship service as well. We want it to be done with excellence. It'll never be perfect, but we strive for excellence. We need creative people, like Ethan mentioned at the beginning, to help with our worship experience, technical support, volunteers who are vital to that as well, right here in this room every Sunday morning. It takes a lot. It takes a lot. And it's been done, it's been done well by a, a few people for many years. But it takes, it takes a lot of people, and we could use more. We need folks to serve in our security team, our lockup team. We need people to bake cookies, to take those cookies. We need, we need people to engage with our first-time visitors. We need more people on those teams to oversee our facilities and all the things that go on to making this place run on a regular basis. Because here's what this is. This is a tool that God's given us, that he's blessed us with, that, that sometimes we can take for granted. But this is a tool he's given us, not to just kind of get in our holy huddles, not to just kind of come here and be in a little bubble, right? But to go out into this community and to go out into this world and to find people that are far from Jesus and to bring him to him, bring them to him. That's what we're called to do. We also want to be great supporters of this community. We believe the perfect way to leverage our relationship and our influence is through our schools. And so we need community helpers and mentors and character coaches and volunteers willing to help us make an impact in this community for Jesus. And so I can't say it any stronger. We need your help. Here's my bottom line this morning. Why do churches exist? Why are Christ followers called to serve? So others can experience the fullness of His grace and be restored into a right relationship with God, which only comes through knowing Jesus. A few hours after Jesus would wash the disciples' feet, He would be stripped and humiliated. His crown would be set aside, but not for a towel or a water basin. This time, it would be for a cross. 
and what he would do on that cross and how he would defeat death walking out of that grave is the greatest news and the greatest story that this world could ever be told. That we worship a Savior who has taken care of it all, has defeated death, and loves us, and is providing for us in eternity. And He wants all of His children to come home. He wants all of us, everyone, to know how much He loves them. Our deepest desire as a church is to see God use us to change this community. Did you know there are about, I saw some of the census stuff come out, just just kind of coming out from 2020. There are almost 50,000 people now that live in Shelby County. 50,000 people. We're one of the fastest growing counties in the state. Did you guys know that? A list came out. I think we were like, we're in the top 10. Like one list I saw were like five or six. One had us like, like we're one of the top. Yeah, there's like, we're, we're one of the top growing counties in the state. A lot of people. 50,000 people, more people moving in every week. <laughs> you guys know that, right? You've driven through town. Have to drop off five construction sites to get to here, right? Here's the point. You could do a rough estimate of how many churches. I think they, Dave told me this. We were talking about this a little bit. He said last time he heard there was like 70 churches in Shelby County. But but a lot of them are, are you know, they're great churches, but there's just probably a few people. When you start adding up like all these churches, there, there may be a fourth of that population. That's, a, that's, that's generous. There may be a fourth of the people that that go to a Bible-believing church on a, on a semi-regular basis. And so you do the math. There are thousands, 30,000, 35,000 people that just are like, I don't want any part of church. I don't want any part of Jesus. I don't want any part. They're, they're at home in bed right now. And they're your neighbors. And they're your friends. And they're the people that your kids go to school with. They're your co-workers. And what he's called us to be is a light in this community. I could look at that situation and, and think about what, what churches are dealing with and think about you know kind of this whole what we've gone through in the last almost two years now, right? And, and the, the, the divisiveness and the division and the, the things that go on in our, our community. And I have to tell you, it can break a person down. It can break a community down. It can make you just go home and weep when you look at the state that we're in. As a church and as a community... And you look at the task before us. And you know, that's too big. But then I'm reminded of Jesus' words. Jesus said this. I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Go. And make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And then he said this. And this is what I hold on to. (laughs) Even in the really hard days. 
Be sure of this. I am with you always, even until the end of the age. He's with us. He's before us. He's leading through us, through the Holy Spirit. This is his mission. This is his goal. We're just along for the ride as a church. And we need your help. Would you guys stand? I'm going to pray. We're going to have a little different thing going on here today. We're, we have got, uh, we'll have some folks down here to pray with you if you want. If you have something that you're praying about, a first-time decision, Bobby will be down here. Uh, for the rest of you guys, once I'm then I'm going to pray a couple more things I need to tell you about. And then I want you to go out there to outside right out here. We have a little ministry fair, fair out there. And if you're not yet engaged in a ministry here at Shelby Christian Church, if you, if you um, benefit from the blessings that God uh, has given you through what he's using Shelby, Shelby Christian Church to do in your life, but you're yet to kind of give back, then I want to encourage you to go out there today and find a place. All of our staff guys are out there. There's some other ministries out there. There are opportunities galore. Please don't leave this place this morning without having a place to serve here at Shelby Christian. Let's pray. God, I love you. I know these people in this room love you. I know that we want to serve you and follow you and walk in your ways. You showed us the ultimate Example of that in John chapter 13. May we follow in that example. May we put down our crowns. May we put down our pride. May we put down whatever it is that holds us back. And may we pick up a towel and a water basin. May we serve your people so that they know how much you love them. God, if there's someone in this room this morning that needs to make a decision for you, that needs to become a part of this team here on the hill, this community of changed lives, don't let them leave this place today without making that decision. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's sing.
guys, if you're new today, checking out things for the first time, welcome. We have uh, some folks out at the I'm New Wall today that would love to connect with you, maybe answer any questions you have about our church. And then one last thing, another one of our uh, partners, um, um, a group over in Uganda, Linda Jones, is going to be going over uh, Friday uh, to the village over there that we uh, we pray about. And, and so you guys, a lot of you guys support individual kids and have, have worked with for, for many years now. Um, she's going over Friday, but she, she shared a, a need this week that we want to let you know about. Maybe you can help us uh, help her with this, help us with this as, as she goes Friday. Uh, they they want to take some money over to, to just buy some food uh, for the hooks. They, Uganda, if you don't know, it, it's a country that's been on lockdown for a long time now because of COVID. People haven't been able to work. They're basically kind of stuck in these villages without food and without work. And so it gets, it get, you can imagine how, how desperate things get over there. She told me this morning that $20 can feed a family for two weeks. So like a pizza, right, for us could feed a family for two weeks. So the white buckets are at all the doors. She's, she's, uh, I've tried to raise some of that money this week on social media. She said she's got about $1,000. She'd love to take another four or $5,000 with her on Friday. So we would love to gift her with that money before we leave today. So the white buckets are at all the doors as you guys leave today. If you feel so inclined.